This is The Guardian. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. And after criticising the early games, what a treat for those working from home today. First Cameroon stage an unlikely comeback against Serbia, courtesy of a glorious dink from Vincent Abubakar and a liberal approach to the offside trap from the Serbian right-back. And then Ghana withstand a South Korean onslaught to win 3-2. Jordan Ayo inspired after Jonathan Wilson's comments were posted on the dressing room wall. As for the big guns, well, Casemiro's late half volley, it was just as enough to beat a resolute Switzerland, while Bruno Fernandes's cross gets the faintest touch off Ronaldo's ego as Portugal beat Uruguay 2-0 to confirm their place in the last 16. Also today, the FA Cup third round draw, an England preview, press conferences on geopolitics, and has this pod committed the cardinal sin of forgetting about the bad stuff and just focusing on the football? All that plus your questions, and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Jordan Jarrett Bryan. Hello. Hello, Pete. You all right? I'm very good, thank you. What a what a lovely... Uh, I don't understand what word you said there. Anyway, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, I, I mixed <laughs> Ireland mates. I said Pates. <laughs> oh, right, I see. Okay, good. I just thought it was like trendy speak. <laughs> no. And I wasn't sure. But I'm very well, thanks, Pate. Uh, Barry Glendenning, hello. No way was that Casemiro goal a half folly. I'm not having it, and I'm disappointed in you, Max. Well, um, we don't have time to get into it, but it was at the very cusp because the ball was still on the rise. John Bruin, hello. Hello, Pax. Hello, right. Uh, Martin says, is today the World Cup's Boxing Day 1963 moment? Well, it was for the first two games. Let's do Group G then. Uh, Brazil are top on six points. They're through. Switzerland have three. Cameroon, Serbia have one. Uh, Brazil need a draw against Cameroon to finish top of the group. Switzerland need a point against Serbia to progress. Serbia will finish second if they beat Brazil and Cameroon don't beat Brazil. Cameroon can go through if they beat Brazil and equal or better Serbia's results against Switzerland. If you followed that, well done. More importantly, let's talk about Cameroon 3, Serbia 3. And says, game of the tournament. John, you were on the minute by minute for this one. And there were some really good minutes in it. Uh, yeah, there was two, two and a half minutes, in fact, uh, in which Serbia scored their goals at the end of the first half. And then uh, Cameroon staged that comeback. And it was uh, Vonsong Abubakar uh, who gave, I think, what's been the best performance of the World Cup so far, I'd say this. Um, he came off the bench. Uh, Rigger Bear Song obviously felt he couldn't play two strikers at once. We we know we don't allow that anymore. That's not allowed under FIFA regulations. <laughs> and he came on and, wow, what a performance. Uh, absolutely took them apart and scored, and I'm going to name it the goal of the tournament, that scoop. The scoop that I think he scored it thinking he was offside and thought, I'm going to just see what I can do here, freestyle it, and it goes in. And it's a beauty. It's Paborski. It's a you net. You know, it's almost a hoddle esque little looping finish. Beautiful. It's so. 
It's so high, isn't it? I mean, it's so unnecessarily high. It was like, I think Charlie Baker, my mate, said that's the funnest goal of the World Cup. And it really was because it got so much height that it bounced into the roof of the net. <laughs> and yeah, I agree with you. I think he probably thought he was offside. But when you first saw that clip and you thought, Barry, actually, he's on. It was such a brilliant moment waiting for that goal to be given. Yeah, I like John, I'm pretty certain he thought he was offside and was just, you know, freestyling because uh, he didn't celebrate and there was a look of very pleasant surprise when the goal was given. And, I mean, he did scoop a very high, but Milinkovic Savage in, in the uh, Serbian goal is about eight foot tall, so you, you obviously have to. <laughs> but he was lying on the ground, Milinkovic Savage, wasn't he, at the time, wasn't he? Wasn't standing up. I don't he? think he was, no. Uh, oh, okay. I, I stand corrected, but that's not how I recall the event. But um, you, may, you may be right. I thought he was still on his feet. But, um, yeah, a really fun goal. And then Abu Bakr... Uh, was played in behind again for for the third Cameroonian goal. Score, squared the ball for Chupamoting, who who basically just had to walk it in at the far post. So uh, a really really fun game. Yeah, and uh, the Serbian right back Milinkovic certainly not part of the Arsenal back four of the early nineties, <laughs> was he? Like, constantly playing everybody onside with his hand in the air, going oh oh dear. But Bam says, where does Abubakar's goal for Cameroon sit in the lob versus chip paradigms debate. Realistically, it's a scoop. But does that mean that we have a three-way scoop versus lob versus chip conversation? Please clarify, Max. I would say, Jordan, you have to add dink into that as well. And they're all different, aren't they? Well, don't they all link into lob eventually? So if you chip a keeper, you've lobbed him. Yeah. If you dink over the keeper, you've lobbed him. So if you scoop it, you've lobbed him. So I think that the conundrum is chip versus dink versus scoop not log lob shouldn't be in that equation right they all they come under the lob. lob they all that's the umbrella well right? that's the umbrella. well I, i'm gonna I, but i think when it, when you say a lob it means that you've spotted the keeper off his line and i think with a dink you're sort of through and the ball's on the bounce maybe and so you just dink it the keeper might not be off you know the keeper might be coming out that's that. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. I guess you can dink it, mm. and the keeper doesn't have to. Doesn't got to go over his head. Yeah. So yeah, no, I, yeah, fair, fair, fair enough, fair enough. I just, I just think intrinsically, lob. I think of over one's head. Yes. And how you get it over one's head yeah. is up the conjecture. <laughs> if if only there was another um, podcast specifically devoted to this kind of pedantry. <laughs> it is, and it's a very good one. Actually, um, David says, where does Barry rate that Mitrovic goal on the Ethan Pinnock team goal scale? I know that the defending was, was suboptimal, but for, I mean, it had a, it had Milinkovic Savic doing a kind of sharing him to Shearer pass to Zinkovic, who then instead of being Shearer and roofing it, was so composed he gave it to Mitrovic. I thought it was delightful. Yeah, and I did actually, <laughs> it's funny our listener mentioned that because I did think of the Ethan Pinnock goal when, when that went in. Of course you did, of course you did. When are you not thinking of that? <laughs> I spend an, an unhealthy amount of time t- thinking about that Ethan Pinnock goal against Liverpool. There was four Cameroon defenders and the goalkeeper all in close proximity to Mitrovic when, that, when he slotted that ball into the empty net. But there was very little they could do about it. Because the passing was just so one touch precise passing, and uh, it it was a remarkable effort. I mean, I guess aside from how brilliant this game was, it doesn't really help either of them, does it? 
No, uh, I was just running through the permutations at the end of this group, um, and obviously Brazil are through, but it is a very complicated scenario at the end of the game, at the end of it, uh, in which obviously Cameroon have to beat Brazil. Now, it is possible Brazil may field a reserve team, but that's still going to be a strong team. And then you're down to goal difference, and judging by the way Mitrovic collapsed to the floor at the end of that game. Now, uh, his was a good goal, but he missed about three or four in a fashion that uh, we've become used to him not missing in the Premier League, reminding a bit more of his Newcastle uh, persona. Um, I think Serbia knew that this one might have got away from them. And actually, just talking about this game, uh, again, I'll come back to this guy, Abubakar. I think without his intervention and his brilliance, in fact, I think what we might have had, and maybe some of you might be disappointed, would have had a classic World Cup war. Because I think these two, were it was bubbling up. There was a lot of needle flying around out there. And I just think there was a point. Uh, and, and actually, it was this phenomenon we've got quite a lot in the World Cup now. And uh, it happened in the Brazil game as well. And in fact, they, they went early and had got it wrong, which is... Part of being a substitute at this World Cup is that you must run on the field and celebrate every goal. And what happened in this game is that when Cameroon <laughs> yeah. scored the first goal, it really annoyed Serbia. And then they did the same. And then it, you, yeah, you're in free-for-all territory, aren't you? And uh, I, I don't know if FIFA have a directive on this. Didn't the ref, didn't the ref book like one player from each yes, kind of, did, sort of token? Yeah. You'll get a yellow, but there are like everybody's. You could have booked everybody. Yeah, exactly. And and I think that's obviously the way the Cameroon player who got booked for his part in the uh, mass celebration looked aggrieved. Was like, well, why are you book? What are you booking me for? And it was like, well, obviously you've been booked for celebrating. And it's always like, why aren't you booking everybody else? And it's like, well, that's not going to be very good for your team, is it? And it, it was <laughs> it, it, so. So yeah, um, that that's that's one of those patterns of the World Cup, and I think maybe if there had been one more goal and a, a mass celebration, it might have gone off. But uh, I was thinking of you know Battle of Bern, Battle of Santiago at a certain point. But uh, thank you for Abubakar for his excellence and great football. That being the winner, it was slightly reminiscent of that famous Ryder Cup incident where all the Americans ran across a green to celebrate yeah, Brookline. Yeah. Oh, over Ollie's line. You never Sam Torrance going. You don't walk across Ollie's line. Yeah. How could you? Well, Ollie still had a pot to to tie the game, I think, and and that created a hell of a lot of bad blood. And it, this was quite similar. There's a couple of things on today's football, just generally. I mean, I, I I say this point as fully aware that I'm intrinsically very miserable and cynical, and look for the negative before the positive. But I've not been enjoying this World Cup that much. But today was the first day where I actually started to enjoy the World Cup. We saw some really good games today. Obviously, lots of goals, some really good goals. And it was the first, first day for me anyway. I've, I'm, not, I'm not all in yet with this World Cup. Um, there's been a couple of you know, really good halves here and there for me. Um, obviously, the colour and the vibe of the, the, the different nations bring is obviously very colourful and fun to see. But I'm just not feeling the World Cup yet. But today was the first day where I was like, yeah. I'm starting to enjoy enjoy this tournament for the first time. So you've finally been sports washed. That's what's happened, Jordan. You've had <laughs> it's worked, Max. It's, it's worked. It's worked. Uh, I was just going to say, Max, is there a word on the Cameroon goalie? Is that what we were going to? Yes, say? absolutely. Well, you know, Andre Anana removed from Cameroon's squad 
um, Fabrizio Romano tweeting, we told the reason is a discussion with the head coach as he insisted for a different style of goalkeeping, more traditional. JD saying, Anana getting dropped as Cameroon's primary goalkeeper for not wanting to get it launched is a hell of a thing. Would never have guessed Max Rushton and Rigobo Song were kindred spirits. And of course, John, I mean, you're basically the leader of the get it launched campaign, aren't you? I've always been a huge admirer of Rigobo Song, going back to his two sendings off in two separate World Cups. I mean, he's a World Cup legend for that alone. And also, uh, also he's the most stylish guy <laughs> in the dugout. And yeah. uh, there's no doubt about that. And uh, yeah, get it launched. And actually, it's been a great day for get it launched. So, uh, so Anana, I'm not sure he's been quite sent home just yet, but um, humble pie for him. None of your Ajax playing the ball, ball out nonsense. <laughs> Get it launched. It's a great victory for the proper football man. <laughs> Tim says, Dragon Stojkovic on the subject of managers, well, you know, managers' alter- alternative professions. He looks like he runs an East End boxing gym in an 80s <laughs> ITV show. Um, uh, and uh, someone else said it looks a bit like Matthew Broderick. Um, well, I can't, don't necessarily see that. Thanks also to Andrew Vizima, who pointed out something in Wilson's match report. From Wilson's match report, is he more street uh, than he's given credit for? Um, where Wilson wrote, and when Mitrovic got his goal rolling in after a sick move after Cameroon had given the ball away from a throw, etc., it's possible <laughs> there was a missing L from there. But but let's go with it. I'd like the idea of Wilson uh, referring to things as sick uh, going forward. Um, uh, let's talk about Brazil-Switzerland then. I mean, it's a great hit, Jordan, from Casemiro, isn't it? It really was. It really was. I've been really impressed with Casemiro. I've not really been impressed with that many midfielders at this World Cup, but he's two games now. He's um he, he has impressed me, and mm-hmm, it was bit. a great hit. Was, did it deflect? I think it did deflect. So, not not to be mean and, and be miserable as I often am, but um no, a, a great hit. This was a a game where I think Switzerland deserved to lose just by the fact of they didn't get the memo that the brave teams tend to get something at this World Cup if you sit back and try to be passive. Um, I, th- I think you'll find that you'll, you'll eventually end up with nothing. The teams that have got something are the ones that generally have, have offered something going forward. And they just seem to be playing for a draw to secure um, to secure um, the qualification to, to, to the next round. So, yeah, I, th- I think Brazil, eventually their quality came through. It's just they've got a dumb amount of, of, of players to pick from. They're just like, it's just from back to front. They're the most complete team by a mile in this, in this World Cup. And they're not my team to win it, but they're the rightful favourites for sure. I think you might be being slightly harsh on Switzerland. I don't know what you think, Barry. I thought actually for large parts of their game, they they were the better side. Actually, if their final ball was better, it, it didn't seem to me like they weren't trying to score. They just weren't quite good enough at the absolute pivotal moment. Yeah, I think they got a, a dose of the Denmarks really with a bit toothless up front. And they did have some chances, not brilliant chances, but some chances. And Brazil kind of played into their hands by being uncharacteristically pragmatic and they switch things up at half time with Rodrigo on for Paqueta and then 10 minutes later I think Bruno Jimenez came on for Fred Brazil's class told in the end they had that goal disallowed which it was a correct decision but a bit bit pedantic and nitpicky but correct nonetheless for a, an offside earlier in the build up and then Casemiro scored the winner but um, I think Switzerland probably weren't expecting that much from that game and and they're still well in it aren't they so they'll be they won't be too distraught yeah I mean it is it is pragmatic 
when Neymar's injured to bring in Fred. Um, uh, John, you, you, you tweeted after 25 minutes, John, Brazil plumping up my theory that everyone is a bit shite at this World Cup tourney. I mean, it, they're not, they weren't brilliant today, were they? And I suppose, you know, I'm, I find myself watching always from an England perspective going, oh, they draw nil-nil. That actually shows that the England's nil-nil isn't that bad. And eventually, look, they got their goal. But they, they weren't brilliant today. And maybe none of the teams... I mean, maybe international... Because I was watching Brazil going, you know, Paqueta's playing for West Ham. Richarlison's plays for Spurs, who aren't a top team, are they? You know, like, Fred hasn't had a, a, a marvellous time at Manchester United, etc., etc. So they're, they're clearly a great team with great players, but not necessarily amazing. No, no. Um, what you've also got to remember, and this is one of my reasons be- behind them being shite, is that it's only two and a half weeks ago or whatever that they're actually playing league football. So I, my excuse for England's or one of England's excuses for that is that for, against USA is that the adrenaline carries you through the first game, the second game, there isn't so much adrenaline um, and you, you've almost, it's almost if you've got a good result in the f- first game, then you don't have to go full bore in the second. And that appears to be the strategy of quite a lot of managers. It certainly appeared to be that of Tite in that game. Um, and are Brazil shy? Well, of course not. Um, though I'm not sure uh, Jordan's reading of them from top to bottom of the squad. Alexandro and Alex Tellez at left back. I'm not sure I'm having that. That full back, I think they're a bit lacking. Uh, Thiago Silva. Oh, Thiago Silva, we always have to insert this caveat. Oh, oh, he's been a great player and he's been so great for Chelsea. But I do think that he might be the player that catches them out as as good a player as he can be. Defensively, I'm not so sure. And yeah, I thought I thought Mbolo. I thought he was get atable. Tiago yes. Mbolo was slightly better. Like yeah, sort of yeah. Like he's just five ten percent away from being a brilliant centre forward. Yeah, and 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 the fact that Fred is brought in suggests that the manager thinks that as well because Fred is what's he known as a guy that screens the defence. I mean, if 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 Tellez and, and Sandro are your weak points, you 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 come on, you're, you're doing. They're not. Tellez is rubbish. So Sandro. They're, they're they're not great, granted, but if they're your if they're your <laughs> weak points, I think you're doing all right. Um, but but I tend to agree with your point, Max, about th- there isn't a scary team at this World Cup, and a lot of people are going to laugh at you know this next point. But I don't think England need to be scared of like frightened of France or Brazil. France and Brazil can beat England. But I think England can beat France and Brazil, so I don't. Th- I don't think there's any standout team where you're like, "Uh oh, you need to avoid that nation." There, uh, are you, are you laughing at my point there, Max? No, no, I'm just saying. Is it is the point that England don't need to be scared of France and Brazil is because they'll have been knocked out by the time, so they won't have to play France or Brazil, so they don't need to. No, I agree with you. I think if you if you know if you, it's hard, isn't it? Right. I think if if England ever took on Brazil, I think you actually would be smart to sit and try and go on the break with the players around Kane, right? I think you'd play that defensive football and you'd probably lose. And then everyone would say, why don't you go for it? I think that would be the sensible thing to do. I think if you went gung-ho, it might not work. But I, I don't disagree with you. I don't think any team... I don't think any of those top teams should be scared of each other. But I... I you know, France are... A good, you know, they're a, of course they're a good teams, right? I think Brazil... Listen, Brazil and France have been the best two teams over two games so far, no question. But Brazil haven't been amazing, and France have got Lloris in goal. 
So I'm sorry. <laughs> Both of those two teams are are beatable as far as I'm concerned. Stefan says, in the space of two weeks, Allison's gone from full beard to clean shaven to 70s porno tash to clean shaven. Is it only a matter of time before this indecisiveness starts to seep into his keeping? He had a couple of dodgy touches, didn't he? Stephen says, Brazil have Roberto Carlos, Cafu, Kaka and Ronaldo in attendance tonight. You could stick a traffic cone in goal and that's an unreal five-a-side team. It's a very good point. And Simon said, did everyone see Karen Carney's all-time Brazilian eleven? She'd be very popular choice amongst the public for England manager with a selection like that. It is brilliant. I'm all in favour of it. Her all-time Brazil eleven is Alisson in goal. That's a bit harsh on Taffarel. A back three of Cafu, Thiago Silva and Roberto Carlos. It's quite attacking back three, isn't it? A midfield of Rivaldo, Ronaldinho and Zico. Nice. <laughs> Up front, Garincha, Romario, <laughs> Pele and Ronaldo. So, I Crikey. mean, there's, a, there's an article there about who's not tracking back, isn't there? <laughs> For sure. I'd pay money to watch them, though. Oh, absolutely brilliant. right. Managed by Ozzy Ardiles, of course. Um, uh, absolutely <laughs> tremendous. Anyway, that'll do for Group G. We'll be back in a minute. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Let's go to Group H. So then South Korea 2, Ghana 3. Barry, you were on the minute-by-minute. Minute. Another brilliant game, wasn't it? Yeah, I think this was my game of the tournament so far. I really, really enjoyed it. It meandered along beautifully, going one way, then the other. Started Ghana were seriously under the cosh for the first 25 minutes. I think Ghana, uh, South Korea had won seven corners inside the first 20 minutes, uh, more of which are none. Um, and then they conceded two goals. Uh, and Jordan Ayew, who last week or was responsible for Brexit, was responsible <laughs> for both goals today. He took a brilliant free kick into the from out wide on the left, sent it into the mixer. Korea couldn't uh, clear it, and Mohamed Salisu poked it home in the, the scramble. And then... Uh, not too long afterwards, he whipped a cross in Jordan Ayew, uh, which Mohamed Kudus just got, got his eyebrows on, as uh, Dion Dublin was on cold comms, said, and, and he was able to flick it home with the merest of touches. And uh, second half, Korea sort of came back into it. Cho scored twice for them. Second goal, he scored two headers. The second one, he left ridiculously wow, amazing, high to convert. Across from uh, Kim Hun Su, the, f- the left back, who was at times brilliant throughout and at other times infuriatingly uh, profligate. He missed a couple of good chances, but he was sending in a lot of crosses. And then you'd, you'd have assumed when South Korea came back that Ghana were going to blow it, but they uh, Kudos uh, swept home a shot after. What I'm I'm going to say in Aki Williams will claim was a dummy. I'm saying it was a complete fresh air shot. It was. <laughs> yeah. And uh South Korea kept hammering on the door. It was ten minutes of injury time, but they couldn't score. They probably deserved a point. 
Anthony Taylor was ref in this game. It was his first game in this tournament. So he awarded South Korea, or South Korea won a corner and he blew the whistle without letting them take it. He was immediately surrounded by some seriously irate South Koreans and their manager, Paolo Bento, complained so much he got a red card. And I can understand their frustration, but I would also say that in that game, South Korea got 12 corners and every single one of them was terrible. <laughs> they, were, they were barely getting it to the edge of the six-yard box, let alone the f- the first man on the near post. And I thought for a while maybe it was in- intentional. They were trying to, you know, get it to the near post, get a flick. Oh, then a clock. They didn't actually have anyone on the near post for quite a few of these corners. Even if they had got to take the corner, I'm pretty sure they wouldn't have done anything with it. But, uh, yeah, they lose. Probably deserved a point. But then I would argue they didn't deserve a point in their opening game against Uruguay and got one. Yeah, I thought they were really unlucky. I mean, that last 10, 15 minutes, I don't know what the South Korean for kitchen sink is, but they were, I mean, absolutely, <laughs> like everything was going in the box, wasn't it? And a couple of those goals we should talk about. Marcus says the key to Jordan Ayew not being offside is making him a false nine, dropping back and whipping in amazing crosses. It was so simple all along. Palace Total says, is Wilson going to retire now that Jordan Ayew's made his other article inconsequential? <laughs> um, uh, and the, I mean, actually, the, the second header, South Korea, from... Choi Gung-sung, I know you've mentioned it, Barry, was just so brilliant. Dave says, I know you've made your opinions clear on this topic, but surely, surely we can hang this in the Louvre. Proper number nine work. It was a brilliant header, John, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's it's almost uh, Pelé, 1970s standard of cl- big climb, at, you know, Tony Hawk-style airtime and then crashing it in. That's how it's done, and that's what we like to see. Um, and if you get it launched, you can do that. That's the that's the way. That's the way it yeah. goes. Um, and <laughs> actually, uh, Barry mentioned him, uh, Mohamed Kudus, uh, better than Neymar. He said uh, he announced himself as better than Neymar, though he sort of disputes whether he actually said that. But um, I think he has been in this tournament. So uh, all credit to him there. Point I wanted to make actually about poor old uh, Hyung Min's son. Uh, it's not going well for him, is it? And we don't like to see that because he is one of football's nice guys. But I was thinking about this, um, which was, and we have to cast our minds to f- club football, and uh, Antonio Conte is going to have to be the guy that picks Son off the floor after what he might feel. I mean, it's not over yet, but it's looking that way, uh, feeling he's let his country down, because who was first to complain to Anthony Taylor? It was Son leading the charge there because he probably knew his chance had gone. And I think that's going to be a problem for a few managers, which is the the World Cup comes mid-season and then you've got someone carrying the hopes of a nation on their shoulders, a big disappointment, and then you've suddenly got to play on Boxing Day. Um, not easy for them, not easy for the managers. And I think Son's the, the prime example of that. Yeah, I, I wonder if... He's such a talented player and it hasn't quite worked. And there were a couple of chances. There's one he could have taken first time and he didn't. One that he sort of missed completely and actually went through to the left back who who, who missed quite a good chance. And I wonder, I don't know, like he's got that one, he's got lots of skills, but he's got that one where he does a step over because he can go both ways because he's two-footed. But a lot of the time he does a step over and creates space on the left foot. And it seemed to me that, that the, the Ghanaian defence had kind of worked that out and that he couldn't, he just couldn't get around the, 
get round the side. I don't know. I still don't know, Jordan, if Ghana d- deserved to win this game. It felt like South Korea just had the play and then Ghana just decided to score some goals. And then when it got to 2-2, they just thought, oh, we better score another goal. But I never saw they were ever in real control. No, I agree with that. I think South Korea can definitely feel, you know, a bit upset they didn't get at least a point from this match. I think they could fulfill agrees because they've played relatively well in two games. and They're only... They've only got one point to show for it. So I think that I think there's that as well. Um, if I just go back to your point about the headering and the, and the beauty, the beauty of, of the header, I'd like to kind of give credit to the crossing, personally. I think this game had a couple of really good goals that were because of the quality crossing. And I've noticed across the World Cup so far, the quality of crossing has been really good. Even if they've done resulting goals, or was not even a player there. The, some of the crossing I've seen, I've noticed a lot in this competition has been has been um has been has been really high. Just on Ghana, I'm really glad that Ghana did win this game. You know, as as an African, I'm happy for that in that capacity. But African football is not in a very good way at the moment. And I don't think Ghana are very good. Um and I think that Africa as the continent needs to have a nation um representing I think that a lot of the, the countries so far haven't held themselves in in you know high esteem so far I appreciate the best African team Senegal are without their best player so that's going to impact them of course but I don't think Ghana have been great but I was really glad to see them um to see them get the win here and I hope they can advance to the to the next phase if only for symbolism of seeing someone from that continent in in the latter stages I was just going to mention symbolism and uh a good point made by Nick Ames in the match report carrying the Guardian. To get to the next round, they've got to beat Uruguay. Now, Ghana v Uruguay. <laughs> any, any anything comes to mind? Uh, <laughs> that's yeah. It's going to be great, isn't it? Um, uh, Ed says uh, thoughts on the member of the Ghana backroom staff taking a selfie with a weeping King Min Sung. <laughs> Directly after South Korea's defeat, how would you characterise this behaviour? Amusingly brazen or downright inappropriate? It does seem. I think if you know, if you see one of your heroes, you know, like if I don't know, John, if you saw uh, who's one of your heroes, Nick Cave, or or you know, one of those. I mean, who? I don't know any of the musicians. You know, Dylan. Do you like Dylan? Probably not anymore. I don't mind Bob Dylan, but I mean, can, can you okay. can you imagine asking Bob Dylan for a selfie? Or, no, or, if he was weeping, if he, if he well, was weeping, would you say you might swerve it, might you? I might come back later, you know. <laughs> <laughs> if I there was that there was that time when that idiot chef Salt Bay asked Mohammed Salah for a selfie after um, he'd had his arm dislocated or his shoulder dislocated in the Champions <laughs> League final, and Liverpool had been beaten yeah. by Real Madrid. So you just had a very disconsolate looking Mo Salah with his arm in a sling and that clown beside him, you know, giving it the I think the full Paul McCartney thumbs aloft. I think you can only give you can only give Salt Bay credit, can't you? Because he's basically buying steak from Tesco's and then getting some gold leaf and charging idiots a million pounds. And then like <laughs> then they then they take a photo of the bill going, look how much I spent on a steak. Like, it's incredible. I mean, that <laughs> business model is insane, isn't it? And you're sitting there going, he is a, probably a gazillionaire from just like absolutely overpricing steak to the point it's, it's total insanity. Like, how could you enjoy, how could you possibly enjoy eating food that costs that much? Like, you'd want to, I'd want to frame it. I'd be like, I can't spend that, honestly. Does, does, it not yeah, go, but... does it not go beyond a certain point where you have to convince yourself that you're enjoying it. You know, when people buy expensive bottles of wine, not not my habit, but uh, yeah. and then convince themselves that there's something really special going on here. Uh, maybe that's 
Maybe Salt Bay's got it right. I'm a bit offended, actually. You'd think that I would run, run up to a tearful Nick Cave and ask for a selfie. <laughs> no, I was going to say, would you? I wouldn't. If I saw any any one of if I saw any one of the lighthouse family in tears, I wouldn't possibly approach well, them. Course, John. Yeah. If you if you saw Chris Martin, you know, I'd just I'd I'd off. shackle him. I'd put him in a van. I'd bring him yeah. home and say, "There you are, Mrs. Rushton. I've made all your dreams come true." A photograph with you and Chris Martin Max, would quite possibly be the most vanilla. <laughs> Bland I didn't want to image. say it, Barry. I didn't want to say ever committed to posterity. <laughs> anyway, uh, producer Joel says that's probably enough on Salt Bay. <laughs> on then to Portugal to uh, Uruguay nil. Um, uh, should we start then with the goal? Uh, the first one. Ronaldo claims it didn't touch it. Uh, Rachel says the key question here: Could Barry have scored that Ronaldo header? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I, I thought he had scored it. And Ali McCoy said on Colcoms on ITV, I'm going to drag him down with me. He knew exactly what he was doing when he headed it into that corner. And then it turned out he hadn't touched it at all. But what I like the most is apparently when the stadium announcer eventually credited Bruno Fernandes with the goal, Ronaldo looked really pissed off. <laughs> so he, uh, he had had an opportunity to score before that with a free kick. But given his free kick record, which is absolutely terrible in major tournaments, uh, he didn't. And um, yeah, I, I thought Uruguay were a little bit unlucky, to be honest. But better finishing, they could have got at least a point out of the game. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. Jack says, do we need ultra edge in football now? I'd love the idea of Mariah Erasmus. Just, just, can you rock and roll it there? Is Snicko there for Ronaldo's hair? And interestingly, you know, you tweet a joke about that and... The Ronaldo fanboys on Twitter are just mad, aren't they? Just sort of attacking everybody, sending still images of a ball sort of near Ronaldo's head just to prove that he's touched it. On the second goal, John, James says, can the panel suggest ways of breaking your fall without putting your hand down? A pillow down the shorts, perhaps? As you speak to me, I'm just watching that replayed on ITV. And I don't know if you fall like that I don't know if you've ever fallen and reached between your legs. I mean, perhaps in some... Uh, That's a good question. Is it, perhaps in some... <laughs> You're playing Twister. Right, yeah, right hand on blue, isn't can't it? can't go into right now. But it was... Um, and not to get old Peter Walton, because, hey, nobody wants to be Peter Walton. It was a slightly unnatural position. Um, and actually, uh, you, funny if you mentioned cricket, and there did appear to be some sort of appeals process in uh, here, the way that the, the, all the Portuguese players turned to the referee and probably awoke VAR's uh, attention to it, it was unlucky. But I think it probably was a handball. Uh, and uh, to, 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 to extend uh, the point that Barry made, the best thing about it, of course, is that Cristiano Ronaldo was sat in the stand while watching Ronaldo, watching Bruno Fernandes <laughs> step ahead of him in the scoring uh, and assist. So he's well ahead of him now in the, in the golden boot. And uh, he really would have enjoyed it, though he did have uh, quite a big grin on his face and gave it some uh, loud uh, laddie bants at the end. So uh, Portugal through. So job done for them. I, I think we can agree that in the canon of Luis Suarez... World Cup handballs, it was quite innocuous yes. compared to <laughs> yes. some. Yes, yeah. Um, 
Was it Suarez? I mean, I must admit, I was I was giving a baby some Nurofen when the penalty was given, and I just sort of came down and frantically watched the replay. Yeah, it was he. Yeah, um, I, I agree with Barry Jordan. I don't know about you. I thought Uruguay were slightly unlucky. You know, they hit the post. They had a few really good chances. Benton Kerr has that wonderful run in the first half and can't finish it off. But, you know, as one of our dark horses, along with Denmark, doesn't seem like a wise choice at this day. Oh, of course. They're my tip to win it. <laughs> they're my tip to win it. <laughs> they? they need to score a goal. Um, um, unlucky. Yeah, OK. They had a couple of decent chances, for sure. Um, I just think it's another poor game, Max. 70 minutes. I just thought it was a poor game. Where are the good games? Where are the games where it's like, OK... This is an evenly contested football match with some quality, maybe a goal or two, you know, back at, just for, for a pitch with so much quality on it. I just thought it was a really overall poor football match. Um, just on the penalty briefly, I'm looking at the replay again, and you could argue that the skill of getting it through the player's legs makes the defender fall that way and therefore he's been rewarded for the skill and therefore that's how he's landed. So I'm stretching it a little bit here, granted, but it's harsh, but it's it's a, it's a penalty for me. I just don't know how good Portugal are, Barry. I just can't tell if they're actually really hopeless and be quite lucky in both games or they've got that kind of dogged, they could get quite far in this. Well, they're getting things done anyway, I'll, I'll say that. I, I have to say, I, I said it before the tournament, I said it after the first game, I do think... They would be better without Ronaldo, but he is always going to be picked to start and fit. Mm. No, I totally agree with you. Imagine if you put Liao in and you change the shape of that side somehow. I think they would be so much better. I agree. But yeah, look, they're through. Uh, they're one of, what, three teams who've, who've won twice, along with Brazil and France. Um, uh, the the Uruguay-Ghana game is now absolutely enormous, isn't it? Um, uh, which is great, uh, considering what happened back then. I was actually at that game back in 2010 and uh, back in the uh, COVID lockdown when at The Guardian we had to fill the website with something. Uh, I was asked to write a piece on my favourite game and I chose that one. And I was reading actually that Asimo Gian had tried his best to get fit for this tournament for one last job uh, and uh, unfortunately he hasn't made it, which is a real shame because him against Suarez, well... That's what that's what we all want to see, you know. You want you want to see you want to see the, the the old horses go up against each other now and again, don't you? Yeah, we saw Suarez versus Pepe, and it wasn't quite the shit housery that no, you know, it was just <laughs> two old guys going. You know, it's like Al Pacino and Robert De Niro and Heat. You know, it's just not quite the same, was it? They just they weren't quite as at it as they used to be. The thing is, though, what is great, Barry, is we've got the Ghana Uruguay game is a straight shootout and, and Raul uh, sent me this on Twitter but look, you've got Ecuador Senegal winner takes all Iran USA Argentina Poland Australia Denmark Switzerland Serbia Ghana Uruguay it, it's actually worked out brilliantly that almost in every group there is a game like that yeah so um, I don't really know what to say to that Max <laughs> Oh, just be excited. You can be excited about well, it or not. You know, it was a, yeah. It was one of those open goals for you, but you know, yeah, yes, it right. is. Bat it back. That's fine. It's great. It is. You're absolutely right. Do you notice how no other person on the pod, if I see that to anyone else, maybe they're just not as comfortable in their own skin, they would like, they'd go with it. They'd like go with it going, I've got a chance now to say something. <laughs> just literally just, yes, move on. And why not? There was a pitch invader. You don't really see it on the TV. He had a rainbow flag. Uh, he had save Ukraine and respect for Iranian women uh, on his T-shirts. But obviously the camera doesn't really focus on 
that a reminder of how ridiculous this World Cup is. The third round draw of the FA Cup was made halfway through the first half of this game. <laughs> they sort of, sort of go, oh, and the FA Cup third round draw has been done. Man City-Chelsea is the standout tie. If anyone has any brain space uh, to cope with what's going to happen sort of in the first or second weekend of January. I was going to say, uh, I mean, I know that the, the, the that long run of every Manchester United game ever in the FA Cup has been broken recently, but Manchester United-Everton has that look of... 7.15 on a Sunday evening, doesn't yeah, it? It really it? does. Oh. Two weakened teams, a one a goal for Anthony Gordon, but, <laughs> you know, I don't know, Scott McTominay scores Captain a late United. Crisis, it's 1-1. Yeah, yeah, exactly yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, a few decent draws there. Arsenal going to Oxford is fun. And uh, um, uh, Gillingham, of course, who we'd like to mention on the pod at the moment, uh, uh, or Dagenham and Redbridge after they draw home to Leicester City. The mighty goals, and, you know, yeah. Yeah, and uh, every <laughs> Wednesday home to Newcastle United. But look, I can't be, I literally cannot, I can't start thinking about the FA Cup third round, especially because we were knocked up by Grimsby at the weekend. So look, that'll do uh, for part two. We're back in a second with uh, any other business. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. So England play... I mean, today, I guess most people would be listening uh, on Tuesday. Gareth Southgate has said that Phil Foden still has a big part to play. Um, I missed the press conference. I just presume it was journalist after journalist in capital letters shouting, why do you hate Phil Foden? Or what do people tweet? <laughs> what photographs does Mason Mount have of Gareth Southgate? Or, or, or did Phil Foden murder Gareth Southgate's entire family? It was just a questions like that. Maybe it's a photo of Gareth with salt bay. <laughs> <laughs> While they're both crying, it's possible. What starting eleven would you like to see, Jordan? Well, that's the whole eleven. You don't give me the whole eleven, but would you like to see a, a changed side? No, I wouldn't actually. I, I, I just don't. I don't. We had it last year with Grealish and this this clamour for Grealish to be in the eleven, and now it's Phil Foden. Listen, Phil Foden is a phenomenal talent. He's a brilliant player. He's on. He's on form. But this idea that he's significantly better than Bakaya Saka or you know, Sterling, who's done well for England, should be dropped. I just find it a little bit a bit bizarre. So I, I just don't understand where by now we're not trusting Gareth Southgate. If Gareth Southgate doesn't get out of the squad or get out of the group, sorry, or, you know, bombs in the in the first round or the court, wherever it may be, let's pile in. But I think the guy's earned enough trust, surely, by now, for us to kind of like, OK, I don't agree with your decision, but nah, let's, let's, let's go with it. So... No, I, I, Jordan, I'm a massive fan of your kind of this kind of seesaw moment that you have of, of completely trusting <laughs> him to until it goes wrong to pile in. I'm just ready. I'm ready. I'm teetering here. But right now, I completely trust you. And, and I don't know. I sort of I'm not totally sure if he's the best manager in the world or gets every tactical position right. And yet, even if it doesn't work, I probably won't pile in. I'm just going to stay in the middle. But I quite like your I think I think I think there should be a pile in pile on if he doesn't get out of the group or if he gets knocked out in this last 16. I think at that point, that's fair. But I think if the advance is past that, that for me is about par. I think this is idea that we have this amazing, phenomenal, bursting at the scenes group of world-class players that I just don't think we do have. I think he's doing, the, I think he's doing what you need to do to get through international tournament football. Tyler Adams, in these press conferences are quite interesting, aren't they? Because they veer from... How's Weston McKenney's ankle to what do you think of the global, what do you think of the geopolitical situation <laughs> in the Middle East, Tyler? And he was asked about the states, discrimination in the states. He was told that he mispronounced the word Iran. Um, and actually thought, Barry, he really answered it incredibly articulately. Yes. And 
I think with the possible exception of James Madison, I can't imagine any of the England squad maybe fielding such a weird question so well. Um, it was a bizarre press conference in which he and his manager were asked a series of questions about uh, racism, a US Navy ship that's currently parked up near Iran and other political issues. And, you know, they fielded them politely, but you could see they're, we'd rather just talk about the game. It's not, it's, it's, this is above our pay grade. Do you think those questions are legitimate? Because we say that Eddie Howe should be asked questions. Is that different because Eddie Howe is being paid by the state? I mean, I guess, and would you say Gareth Southgate's being paid by the state? He's not. He's being paid by the EFA. I mean, that is, that's different, isn't it, Jordan? Or, 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 like, or, or are we being hypocritical if we don't think these questions are valid, but we do think it's valid for, I don't know, Jeff Shreves to ask Eddie Howe. I mean, not that Jeff would necessarily do it, but whoever to ask Eddie Howe questions about Saudi Arabia. I I think it's about what your intentions are and the context of why you're asking the question. So if the context allows you to ask a question because there is a, a wider reason and you feel this interviewee or this particular player can shed light on a subject that he or she may have spoken about previously or have some connection to, then I think it's fair. I think just asking a question that is politically related in a random press conference just because you want that person to answer it, I don't think is fair because there's no context behind why you may ask that question. I think Barry makes an interesting point there about, uh, James Madison aside, would anybody else have been able to answer this question in, 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 in the same kind of way as Tyler Adams did? And I just wonder if a lot of press direct those sorts of more intellectual questions at players and slash nations who they feel are equipped to answer them so the americans have a good rep athletes across the boards for being able to speak quite well about politics and culture the dutch do too the germans do too so i'm not so sure if this the english would have been answered that question maybe they maybe they would have but i wonder if thailand was answered that question because there's this kind of perception rightly or wrongly that american athletes are actually able to handle, they can handle answering those questions and do it in a way that you might not like or agree with, but they can give you give give you an answer. So I, I think asking the question is fair as long as there's context around the subject and the player you're asking. I wasn't suggesting that the English players with the exception of no, no, no. are thick. I'm just saying that if, you know, when, when Tyler was asked the question, at no point did he sort of sure, look sure. To, to one side or look to a PR handler to try, like, what, what the hell's going on here? Or Uncomfortable. You know, did he look bemused? He, he listened intently sure. and then answered. Whereas I think if it was uh, an England press conference, that then maybe the PR guy would have stepped in and gone, can we just talk about the football, please? Yeah, I think Eric Dyer has sort of been quite articulate about yeah. these kind of issues yeah. in the past. In another inter- uh, uh, press conference, did anyone see, I think it was an, was it an Egyptian journalist said to Eden Hazard, you've put on a bit of timber, mate. What's that all about, basically? <laughs> and Eden Hazard went, can you, rep- can you repeat that question again? And he did. And, he, and Eden Hazard was like, well, I haven't. 
but I was quite a sort of blunt, you know, blunt questioning. Um, Jürgen Klinsmann um, has uh, been in the spotlight, hasn't he? When he was talking about Iran, he sort of said it's not by coincidence. It's part of their culture, how they play. They work the referee. They work the linesman and the fourth official. They're constantly in their ear. There were a lot of incidents we didn't see. This is their culture. They take you off your game. Carlos Quiroz, the manager, tweeted that the remarks undermine our efforts, sacrifices and our skills. Invited Klinsmann to visit the Iranian training camp. Klinsmann clarified his comments on BBC Breakfast going there was... There was stuff really taken out of context. I'll try and give him a call and calm things down. I've never criticised Carlos or the Iranian bench. Some even thought I was criticising the referee because he didn't do anything about the way they were behaving on the bench. All I described was their emotional way of doing things, which is actually admirable in a certain way. The whole bench lives the game. They're jumping up and down and Carlos is a very emotional coach. He's constantly on the sidelines trying to give his players all the energy and direction. I think somewhere else he said, look, you know, I've got some Iranian friends um, I, I don't know. I don't know what people make of, of of that situation, Jordan. I have a little bit of sympathy for Jürgen Klinsmann in this situation because I'm prepared to give him the benefit of the doubt that he was referring to their footballing culture. Now, some would say that that is still offensive in itself, but I think the, the wider offence was taken that he was talking about you know, Iranian culture as, as, as people. That's how they are as people. That's that's how I interpreted the furore that came off the back of it. But I think he was referring to, you know, as as players, um, that's what they do. I think the bigger problem is that I, don't, I, I think it's unfair to put that on any one nation. I think there are lots of nations that um, have players that do what the Iranians did. So I think a lot of the pylon that came on to Klinsman that he's inferring that that's how they are as a people, which is how I, again, interpreted it, I thought was maybe a little bit harsh. And I took it, having watched it a few times, what he was saying, I think he was suggesting that in that game, then and there, as, as, as players, that that's what they did. So I'm, I'm prepared to give him a little bit, a little bit of slack on, on, this, on this one. But many of my friends, some of whom are Iranian, they, they, they weren't. I had a quite interesting question from Johnny saying that the pod has not spoken as much about issues in Qatar, if at all now the games have started. It uh, feels like it's now just about the football after the politics. Is that a fair assessment and is that how it should be? And I thought that was quite an interesting question because we obviously really chatted age, loads and loads before the World Cup about trying to get the balance right. And, and we obviously did those really in-depth previews. And interestingly, on those previews, we talked about whether we should release them as separate podcasts or as part of... Uh, you know the World Cup preview podcasts. Interestingly, we found that when we do a special, like not not just in the World Cup, but just about LGBTQ plus or racism or concussion, actually the audience goes down by about fifteen percent or something like that, or twenty percent sometimes. So so you know basically one in five people don't care about the serious issues, or or they don't come to Football Weekly for those kind of discussions, which is fair enough, right? There are other way places to get those kind of stories, and you come here for football, so you. You need to carry people with you, right? We want everyone to listen. I want everyone to listen to every minute of the podcast we do. I appreciate there are a lot of them at the moment. And we have had some really in-depth conversations and we've had some, and and I don't, I hope we get the balance right. And it's, it, I don't know because obviously football keeps moving on and then by, you know, January the 1st, we're not talking, we won't say anything about Qatar. And maybe that isn't right in a global sense, but it's probably right for this podcast. I don't know if any of you have any thoughts on it, Baz. I was a little surprised when I saw that tweet, to be honest. I thought, you know, we've talked at length about armbands and gestures and uh, the point or pointlessness of those gestures. And, I, yeah, I, I can't think of any issues that have arisen off the field that we haven't addressed. But 
maybe I'm I'm wrong, or maybe producer Joel is just taking them all out after we've recorded. <laughs> I, I, I think that there are a group of football fans that have been waiting. I, I, this tweet was interesting, and I, I I know a lot of football fans that feel the same way that have been waiting to kind of almost say the line, ha, you see, I knew when the football started, the World Cup started, you wouldn't talk about the non-footballing issues. And that actually, I think, is, is agenda-driven. And whilst I do have an issue, a separate issue with some journalists in their, their takes and their opinions about the World Cup and then what they then do at the World Cup, I need to formulate those views and opinions to articulate them a, a bit better in, in over the course of time. I've, that, I think that's a problem. I think the problem is, is that people for the last two, four, six years haven't been talking about it. And now the World Cup started. They're talking about it. And that's the problem. The talking should have been done before the World Cup. But, but that, is, that is difficult because, you know, you've got to talk about lots of things. You know, it's hard on a Monday after a Premier League weekend to do that. You know, that I, I don't necessarily disagree with you. I think also on a point... When you talk about those issues, you really want to get it right, okay? And this is a, this is a sort of a, a practical issue, right? There was one night where actually the other night Philippe was on. We did cover a few issues. And then afterwards, we thought we didn't really do them justice or do them well. So we took it out. It was the one with a really short part three. And like what we want to do now and we, we plan to do is certainly do a kind of when we review the World Cup, maybe before even the final, is, talk, is do one about off the pitch stuff. We want to put together those specials that we did if you didn't get a chance to listen to them on Migrant Workers, LGBTQ+, uh, women's rights into a kind of one hour podcast so people can listen to that one and it's you know it's because it, because those the, the situation hasn't changed right for all those people in two weeks so there's no harm in putting that one out again but I just think when you do those things you want to get them right and when you've watched four games of football and it's half past nine yeah. and you're not quite on it it's fine it, it's fine to it's fine to just chat about football because it's what we do but like you want to get those ones right and then there are lawyers who've got to listen at midnight or whatever and maybe that's a it's not an excuse to not do a story, but it's it, it, the practicality of doing this every day is 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 another reason. I think that's fair. And when I say journalists as well, I include myself in that. Maybe I pre World Cup didn't speak out enough about some of these issues, but I think I think the problem is the opposite of what the tweet is suggesting. I think the problem is isn't that we're not talking about it now. I think we didn't talk about it enough, and we as an industry um, generally pre-World mm. Cup. A uh, slightly different subject, George, says on the Kevin De Bruyne mustard sandwich debate, uh, between the ages of 10 and 14, I regularly had English mustard sandwiches in my packed lunch for school. Delicious. Kevin De Bruyne was just copying me. Alex, on the subject of dreaming about us, Alex says, hello, speaking of people dreaming of Max and Barry, I had a dream a couple of nights ago that Barry had made it to the final four of I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. Clearly, the British public were enamoured with Barry's dry humour and ability to smash the trials. I was definitely rooting for him and looking forward to Max's takes on him returning from the jungle. If anything, I woke up disappointed knowing I wouldn't be able to see Barry take part. Is this something he would consider doing? It would depend on how much money I was offered. 20 grand, 20,000 pounds. Nah. A hundred. Matt Hancock got four. Matt Hancock got four hundred thousand. Yeah, but you know, I'd do it for a hundred. Um, I the only reality show I would do, and I'd do it in a heartbeat for nothing, is Strictly Come Dancing. Oh wow! Come and please. get me, plea. There we are. <laughs> <laughs> so, is are you looking for the uh, curse of Strictly to? Uh, you have you. to be married. Don't you have to be married already? You can't. You can't. <laughs> well, no, but they they could be married, and you could run off oh, with yeah. a married dancer. Oh, yeah, so. it's a good idea. Yeah, I think the chances of that happening are fairly slim. Don't do yourself down, Barry. Show confidence in yourself. People have seen you dancing as 
lady in wig in the uh, uh, the spoons yeah. recreation. So whoever so it's possible. whoever gets paired with me is going to have their work cut out. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but the Ed Balls character of this one. Now, anyway, look, that'll do for today's podcast. Thank you so much for listening to it, uh, and thanks for being on it. Cheers, John. Cheers. Thank you, Jordan. Cheers, mate. Thank you, Barry. Thanks, Max. We'll be back tomorrow. Football Weekly was produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Danielle Steve. This is The Guardian.